0: I am Adam Casalino, and this is the Gospel Talker Podcast. You probably have a smartphone if you're listening to this podcast, and you know that every year it receives a major update. These updates bring a bunch of cool, new features to your phone. But chances are, after you get the update, you don't know about many of the features that were added perhaps only months later you find out that your phone could do some cool new thing. This happened to me once. I used to use a white noise app at night to sleep. And I found out months later that an update to my phone included a built-in app that was much better than the one I was using. And I was upset for a little bit because I thought to myself, why didn't the people who updated this bother to tell me I can now do this? In a way, the same thing can be said about the gospel. Many Christians are unaware of what God has made available to them through our Lord Jesus Christ. They think to themselves, wait a minute, what do you mean God isn't mad at me anymore? What do you mean I can ask for anything and he'll help me? What do you mean I can be healed, provided for, and protected? What do you mean I don't have to work to keep God happy with me? Why didn't anyone tell me? You see, God has told us all that he is providing for us through Jesus our Lord. It's right there in the Word. But the teachers you have learned from might have failed to tell you that. They have obscured the gospel because they are stuck in man-made doctrines and traditions. And because of this, many Christians don't realize who they really are and what it means to be a Christian. Our opening text is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The key to the gospel is grace. If you read the Bible at all, you've heard this word before. But do you know what grace is? Do you know how important it is? If you consider yourself to be a Bible-believing Christian, then you will rightly say you are saved by grace through faith. God has forgiven all your sins because Jesus died for you on the cross. And you might say, that is grace. And you'll be right. But maybe you stop right there. You might not realize that grace is much more than the reason God has forgiven all your sins. We know that we are saved by grace, and when we sin, there's grace to be forgiven. But that's it. That's all there is to grace, we assume. Grace provides more than forgiveness of sins, though. In fact, grace becomes very important after you receive Christ. You might have a wrong understanding of grace. You might think grace is nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Perhaps you think of grace as God just sweeping your sins under the carpet. Okay, we think God says to us, I'll let you off the hook this time, just don't let me see you doing that again. As if God was an angry parent or teacher, making an exception for us. Everyone else deserves to be in heaven, right? But us, God needs to show us grace. Isn't grace just God bending the rules for us? No, of course not. Grace, as Paul put it in Romans 5, is what we are in, what we're standing in. It is the basis for our relationship with Christ. What if I told you everything you receive from God is through grace? Would you believe me? Would you think that is too much of a stretch? That's because most sermons we hear in church sound like this. If you obey God, then he will help you. But if you don't obey God, he will punish you. This kind of message is not biblically accurate. Are we to obey God? Of course. But is God going to refuse to help you because you fall short? Absolutely not. This kind of thinking is actually rooted in the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, not the Gospel. Christians who believe in Jesus Christ are under grace, not law. Our relationship with God is built on this grace, not on our obedience or our ability to do what we think God wants us to do. We need to first understand what grace is, though, how it functions in our life, so we can know how to live as Christians. I won't assume we all know what the word grace actually means, so let's define it. The biblical definition of grace is unearned favor from God. That's what grace is, unearned favor. Nelson's Bible Dictionary puts it this way, Grace is favor or kindness shown without regard to the worth or merit of the one who receives it, and in spite of what that person deserves. That is grace. God is being kind to you because of favor you do not deserve. Grace isn't a blank check simply meant to cover your sins. It isn't God sweeping your sins under the carpet. Grace is the reason God forgave you, saved you, and is providing for you right now. And grace is why God will continue to be on your side. He does these things because of grace, unearned favor, not because of what you do as a Christian. Now, most evangelicals will understand grace when we talk about it in terms of salvation. God has saved us from hell because of grace, not because of works. And Paul says this quite emphatically in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we get that. God forgives us because of grace. But this grace continues to be the support or basis of our relationship with God forever. As we saw in Romans 5, we are standing in grace. Grace cannot be earned. It is favor God is giving you out of his abundant love because he sent Jesus Christ to die for you and rise again. That's why grace is in your life. And this favor continues to be the reason God accepts you for the rest of your life. Not just when you first believed in Jesus. Unfortunately, some Christians, even preachers, are uncomfortable with this sentiment. Some will even say they're saved by grace but kept by works. But that is a lie. Some will even say, yes, God gives grace, we love grace, but you must dot dot dot. Never trust someone who says, yes, I believe in grace, but... Be very careful of what comes after that but... Chances are, they will undermine the grace of God by saying you have to do something to maintain God's approval of you as a Christian. The truth is, God's grace is unearned. There's no buts about it. And if anyone tries to undermine this truth of the gospel, Paul himself says they are to be accursed. So let's take a minute to talk about this thing called favor. Favor, so we're all on the same page, is kindness or benevolence, help, support, that is shown by one person to another. We say that all the time. Hey, can you do me a favor? We mean, can you help me with this thing without expecting anything in return? When you have favor with someone, they are positively disposed towards you. They like you. They want to help you. You don't ask for a favor from someone who hates you. But are always friends and family. So imagine you were invited to a celebrity's party. And you go to there, and he's surrounded by all these people eager for his attention. But when you walk through the door, he bypasses everyone else in the house to come talk to you. And when it's time to sit down at the table, he invites you to sit at the best seat beside him. This man is showing you favor. And if you have that kind of favor with him, if you have a problem he's more than willing to solve it. If you have a need because of this favor, he's going to do what he can to meet that need. When you have favor with someone, they are happy to do things for you. But here's the kicker. In the world, favor has to be earned, right? A celebrity is not going to bend over backwards to help you out unless you are valuable to them in some way. They give favor to people because they want something in return. But that is not the case with God. He is giving you his favor freely. You don't earn it. The reality is, it was already earned for you by Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, unleashed grace to the whole world when he suffered on the cross. See, favor with God had to be earned, yes. But you could never earn it for yourself. Why is that? Because you were a sinner. The Bible says we all, because of our sin, were enemies of God. And there was nothing we could do to erase those stains of sin. The only thing we could do was die. So, God sent his son Jesus to die in our place, suffering on the cross, to take away our sin. He took your sin, suffered in your place, so that right now there is nothing bad between you and your heavenly Father. That itself was a gift of grace, and it provides grace. Because now that there's nothing bad between you and God, there's no reason God won't help you abundantly when you are in need. But why do I say the basis for our relationship with God is grace? Why can't we say that, yes, we are saved by grace, but after that we have to maintain our salvation, our Christianity, by what we do, our good works? Doesn't the Bible say we have to obey God? And doesn't that mean doing good things? Aren't we supposed to serve Christ and do what he says? Isn't a good Christian one that abstains from temptation and is pursuing good works? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that those who believe in Jesus Christ are born again children of God. And we are called to do good works. The Bible says we are servants of God. Ephesians 2.10 says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But the New Testament never says that our relationship or our standing with God is based on what we do. If we fall short, if we sin, God doesn't suddenly rip grace from our hands. He doesn't turn our backs on us, expecting us to now win back his approval. This is so important to understand because Even well-meaning, smart Christians can fall for subtle lies that disrupt their enjoyment of God. When we sin, God does not punish us. Romans 8.1 clearly states there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is punishment for sin. If Jesus took our punishment on the cross, then God cannot rightfully punish us if we sin. That's not only true when we first believed, but even now. God is not blessing you because of your perfect obedience. That is a deeply rooted false belief that many Christians are under. They think, well, if I sin, God's going to be upset with me. And maybe he'll punish me. But if I do good, then I can be confident to ask him for help and he'll answer my prayers. Or something along those lines. And that's because our culture, in fact, all of human society, is built around the premise of if you do good, you get rewarded. If you do bad, you get punished. That's how our parents raised us. And even the language of the Old Covenant invokes that idea. But that is the opposite of grace. If grace is unearned, and we are standing in grace, as Paul said, we cannot think that God will only bless us If we obey him perfectly. In fact, under the new covenant, God helps us because of grace, not because of what we do. John contrasts the two covenants in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have received grace, upon grace, upon grace, and then even more. Peter calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. James tells us God gives us more grace even when we are sinning. This means that when we are in need, we can always count on God no matter what. We don't have to earn answers to prayer from him. God is not blessing us because we are prayed up, as some would say, or because we read the Bible that day, or give to our church, or volunteer. Are those things good? Of course. But they are not the reason God loves you or blesses you. In fact, you need God's grace before you can serve. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Do you see that? Three times in that passage, Paul states God's gracious provision. Only once does he mention our good work, which comes after God provides. Let's think of it this way. As I said before, before we came to Christ, we were enemies with God. But Paul writes in Romans 5, we have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have peace with someone, there's no longer any conflict. When nations are at peace together, they can facilitate mutually beneficial relationships. That means they can trade with each other, provide aid, even protect each other from threats. The citizens of both countries can travel freely between them. It's a very good thing for everyone involved. So how much more us with God when we have peace. Our peace with God is even greater than peace between nations because John says, "We have become children of God." In John 1:13, "but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name." Do children have to work to make their father happy? Not a loving father. In fact, the father provides for the children, not the other way around. God is your Father through Jesus Christ. He's not demanding works from you before he will bless you. He isn't demanding obedience or else. He's daily supplying you with grace. This unearned favor that includes all his love, goodness, wisdom, everything you need. That is the basis of your Christian life. But there's much more we can say about this. Now that we know what grace really is, we need to understand how it functions in our lives as believers. Born-again Christians will acknowledge the importance of grace when they were first saved. But what comes after that? My guess is you think being a Christian means doing good works. God saved me. Now I have to serve him, right? I'm willing to wager that you define your Christianity by what you do. You think that being a good Christian means going to church, reading your Bible, praying, avoiding temptation, and so on. And you think that's what it means to obey God. Because obedience, in your mind, means doing something. But that's not how the Bible defines obedience. In fact, that is a works-based relationship with God. That already existed, and it failed, and God provided something better. The new covenant of grace you might be under the misconception that God is only happy with you because you do A, B, or C. You think being a Christian rests on your ability to apply biblical principles to your life. And you might wrongly think God continues to love you, bless you, provide for you, because you're doing the right things and are avoiding the wrong things. Now, if you believe that, you're not under grace in your mind, you're actually under the law. You might be saying right now, no, Adam, I know I'm not under the law. I don't think the way you described. But answer me this. How do you feel when you don't do the things I mentioned a moment ago? How do you feel about yourself if you miss a day of Bible reading, when you don't pray long enough, or when you fail to do something you told yourself you were supposed to do as a Christian? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel as if you let God down? Perhaps you now feel unworthy to ask him for help because you haven't done enough to serve him. If your answer is yes to any of that, my friend, you're not thinking like a Christian, but like someone under the law of Moses. Now you might take offense to this. You might even accuse me of discouraging Christians from doing good works. But I never said good works were wrong. Serving your church, praying, giving, all those things are good. The problem is we wrongly assume those things make us good Christians, that our relationship, our standing with God, is sustained by what we do. And we conclude that if we fail to do these things, now God's upset with us. He won't bless us or help us. And when we mess up, we have to do something to make it up to Him. Or even worse, we think He might punish us to teach us a lesson. The truth of Scripture is that we are in a new covenant of grace, unearned favor. You did nothing to deserve it. You can do nothing to lose it. God accepts you, is even willing to help you and bless you because of grace. And he gives you grace because he loves you with an everlasting love. As I said before, grace isn't solely for forgiveness of sins. We are in God's grace through Jesus. It is the foundation of our relationship with God. When you have a problem, you could go to God for help because of grace, not because you've earned his approval with good works, not because you prayed that morning or read your Bible or gave to the church. God is on your side because of unearned favor. You have that favor because of what Jesus did, not what you do. Now, I'm stressing this so much because our human nature, what the Bible calls our flesh, defaults to works. We want to earn God's favor because it puffs up our prideful self-image. In reality, that's all we know. In this world, you have to work to get what you want. So we think, why shouldn't it be any different with God? But the scriptures show us we do not earn God's love or approval by what we do. Long before we begin to think about serving God, this truth of grace needs to go deep down inside of us. Otherwise, time and time again, we'll fall into the trap of thinking we must do before God helps us. To further drive this point home, let's take a look at the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. For those who are unaware of this term, covenant is a binding contract between two parties. It's lifelong. Most covenants you cannot get out of without dying. It's greater than a business contract, for instance. And since the dawn of time, God has always defined his relationship with humans through covenants. He is the one who establishes clearly defined terms by which we can know him. We don't decide the covenants. God does. Long ago, God made a covenant with the people of Israel after he freed them from Egypt. This covenant was founded on the law of Moses. Simply put, the terms of that covenant were this. You must do, then God will do. Moses sums up these terms in a well known passage from Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 18. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land, which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Do you see the pattern of this covenant? God told Israel that if they obeyed him perfectly, following every rule in the law, and there was over 600 laws, then they would live. But if they broke God's rules, then they would die. Those are the terms of the Old Covenant. If they did good, they lived. If they did bad, they died. So guess what happened? How many people do you think actually fulfilled those terms? Zero. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully kept the law. Every Israelite, including the very first group who received the covenant, broke the law. Let's take a look at that. Soon after they left Egypt, Israel received the law from God through Moses. Exodus 24, Moses reads them the law, including the very famous Ten Commandments, and this is how they responded in verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has said we will do. So notice how they responded. The people said they would do all that God had told them to do. All means everything. Every last commandment, they said, we're going to obey. They seemed pretty confident that they could keep this law, huh? Almost as if they were bragging about it. After this, Moses returned to the mountain to receive instructions from God concerning the building of the tabernacle. And he ended up staying on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So a little more than a month passed. And guess what the very same group of people who just said they'll obey God, ended up doing. It's in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered together with Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that we shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. You see what happened? They didn't even get 40 days before they break the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. They pressure Aaron the high priest to make them the infamous golden calf, which is an idol that they worship. The very first generation who said, We're going to obey the God's law, couldn't last a month and a half. In fact, every single person who was there on that day that said, We will do it, never even make it into the promised land. Only two from that generation makes it in. Joshua and Caleb. And they entered the promised land not because they obeyed the law perfectly, but because they believed God when he said they would destroy their enemies. Nobody in all of Israel's history was able to perfectly obey the law. Even the greatest of them, King David, failed time and again. Because that is what the law does. It condemns the best of us. In fact, it was never God's intention for this covenant to be permanent. In Hebrews 8, it even says God found fault with that covenant and had plans to replace it with a better one. We, believers in Christ, are no longer under the old covenant, which was created through the law of Moses. We have a new covenant with Jesus. So what are the terms of our covenant? Believe it or not, there are many passages in the New Testament that sum up this covenant with God. But this is one I think that's pretty good. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, there's a reason John 3.16 is the most quoted, most memorized verse in the Bible. But do you notice how it contrasts so clearly with the Old Covenant? Like we saw in Deuteronomy, the Old Covenant says, If you do good, you will live. If you don't do, you will die. But the new covenant according to John 3:16 is this. God says because of what I've done through Jesus you will not die but live. God sent his only son to do what the law could not do. Save us from our sins. Now you live not because of your obedience to rules but because of Jesus Christ. Faith in him you live and will not perish. There's no mention of works in that verse, only faith in Jesus our Lord and Savior. Jesus himself describes more about the New Covenant in Matthew 26, verses 26-28. through As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Is there any mention in either John or Matthew, about us doing anything to maintain this covenant. It stands only on what Jesus Christ has done for us. He gave his very body, he shed his blood, so we can be forgiven and have eternal life. This is the foundation of our relationship with God, what Jesus has done for us. And that never changes no matter how long you are a Christian. This is unearned favor. It has nothing to do with what we do and everything to do with what Jesus did. And this doesn't just apply to salvation, but our entire lives, every day, every moment. Being a Christian, believe it or not, is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did for you. We are Christians because we are receiving the grace of God through him. As Paul explains in Romans 5, verse 17, For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So how do we reign in this life? How do we live? We receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. It's not about works at all. Now I want to take this time to address people who might be uh, disagreeing with what I'm saying. Some of you might not like my emphasis on grace. You might think I am encouraging Christians to be lazy or to not look for ways to serve God. And there might be some people who think I'm encouraging sin because I'm emphasizing grace so much that I must mean that Christians don't have to do good works and can just do whatever they like. But that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, people accused Paul of saying much the same thing. Romans 3, 8, he said people were slanderously accusing him of teaching, let us do evil that good may result. But the reality is only people who are resting in God's grace can truly be productive for Christ. They are the only ones who find freedom from temptation and those nagging, besetting sins we all still deal with. Now, you may have grown up listening to preachers who taught something like this. They often said, what are you doing for God? And the implication, of course, is that you're not measuring up as a Christian unless you are just killing yourself trying to serve God in some way, shape, or form. But this kind of question is actually deceiving because nobody actually does anything for God. I mean, let's be honest. Does God need our help? Can we do anything for him that he can't do himself? Paul says in Acts 17 that God doesn't need men to serve him, but he is the one who gives us life, breath, and all things. In fact, just the opposite is true. God doesn't need us. We need him. According to scripture, obeying God means believing his word, not doing good works. In Hebrews 3, the writer discusses the very same generation of Israelites we were looking at before, the ones who failed to enter the promised land. And he explains why they didn't in verses 18 and 19. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter because of unbelief. So the writer of Hebrews is equating obedience with faith. They did not obey because they did not believe. Meaning obedience in God's eyes is faith. And that makes sense if you understand that the righteous shall live by faith. If you're righteous, that means you're right with God. God sees you as right and good, not sinful or wrong. But you're not righteous based on what you do, based on faith. So obedience is faith. Your attempts at being a good Christian does not impress God. Simply embracing the good news that you are God's beloved son or daughter because Jesus has saved you is what it means to have faith. And this is what we call resting in God's grace. You're not trying to impress God with good works. You're not growing because of your good works. You're not successful as a Christian because of your good works. You are a Christian because you're enjoying what he's providing for you. The Christian life is not one of doing, but one of receiving. It's not a labor, it's a relationship. It's not one of slaving, it's one of beholding the glory of God. Without grace, you can do nothing. Not a drop of God's will for your life will be accomplished by what you do in your own fleshly power. Because God's grace is God's provision. When we are in need, he provides. That is grace. When we were dead in our sins, we needed, of course, forgiveness and salvation. And God provided through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So how much more will he provide, by his grace, everything we need now that we are his children? I emphasize grace in this podcast so much, and not works, because grace is more important. Think of it this way. How can you expect to be fruitful for God if you're rejecting the good he wants to give to you? Does a surgeon operate on a patient before he goes to medical school? Does a plumber work on a broken sink before he learns how to do it? What makes a doctor a doctor? What he does or what he has received? Dogs bark. Cats meow. They follow the nature God has given them. A dog doesn't bark, and that makes him a dog. He's a dog, therefore he barks. A Christian is a child of God because of what Jesus has done. God is our Father. That comes first. We are children of God because God is doing a work within us to make us like himself. Through our fellowship with Jesus, we are becoming like Jesus, and the end result is fruit, a changed life, that resembles the character and glory of God full of good works. We don't put the cart before the horse. Good works don't come before grace. They are fueled by grace, which is God's unmerited kindness that he is giving you every day. So good works don't keep you in God's good approval. And they're not a currency that you need to build up like points that you could spend for God's help. That's not how it works. That is not the Christian life. Grace flows through our faith, not our works. If you screw up, or I should say when you screw up, you don't fall out of grace. You can't fall from grace by sinning. In Galatians 5.4, Paul rebukes the churches in Galatia for falling from grace, not because they sinned, but because they went back to the law, to works. If grace abounds much more than sin, according to Romans 5.20, then you can never out-sin grace. So it stands to reason that your good works don't keep you in God's good graces. It's His daily pr- grace, His provision, that will keep you, in fact, from snares of temptation. God is the one who will help you overcome sin, not your striving to obey His word. Psalm 91.3 says this, Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Don't think grace is an encouragement for sin or slothfulness. Good works are not what keep you in God. They are an end result, a fruit. You don't do to receive help from God. You simply receive all the good things He's providing for you, free of charge every day through the Word, through the Spirit. And as God is giving you good things, He's changing you into His image. That is the Christian life. Just like a tree doesn't work to produce fruit, you don't work to produce the fruit God wants in your life. So grace flows through faith, not works. But that brings an important question. If we need God's grace every day to live, how do we receive it? What does it look like to receive God's grace, to see God working in our lives? What does it mean to trust in the Lord in a day-by-day basis? Well, we need to take a look at what faith is, right? And how Christians are to live and walk by faith. And we're going to do that in our next episode. The Gospel Talker podcast is written and produced by Adam Casolino. Visit us online at gospeltalker.substack.com.